Hell of a Catholic Podcast. I'm TJ Capaldi, Pastor Lackey here at the Georgia Tech Catholic Center. Hi, I'm Edward Dannemiller, Archdiocese of Atlanta Seminarian and former Georgia Tech student. And I'm Father Josh, uh, the chaplain here at Georgia Tech, former Georgia Tech. So you're a Georgia Tech graduate. I say <laughs> former student. Like, I'm an alumnus of this fine institution. We say we got out. Like, so, this place well, is a I, prison. You know, well, you could say that, too. Right? I got out of Georgia Tech. You yeah, know, you've made it to ago, the promise was. Right? Yeah. Uh, today, our topic, uh, we're continuing. This is kind of our fourth part in our series on sin. It might be our last part. Um, although I'd like to, I'd like to kind of do a series on the capital vices. I think that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> My um, favorite topic. Well, you know, it's a lot of personal experience. <laughs> Everybody understands. You start talking about like the levels of beatitude, everybody's like, huh? Right? Nobody knows what that's all about. I mean, you start talking about, you start talking about gluttony. Everybody gets that, right? <laughs> um, it's very concrete. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, today we're talking about. What causes us, what, Im- what impairs us, what keeps us from overcoming sins? Almost all of us have certain sins that we repeat over and over and over again. I used to joke with people when I was in seminary. It's kind of changed since then, but uh, when I was in seminary, I used to joke that I could record my confession. And the only thing that would change would be how long it's been since my last confession. Right, that I could just record it, and it was always the same stuff. Right, I've done X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. Um, and most people are like that. Most people continually come back to confession with the same sins over and over again. Sometimes they overcome one or two, whatever. But a lot of times they're the same, and especially the venial ones, because so much of the time we spend early in our life or later in your life, whenever. Uh, spend so much time trying to overcome the serious one, the serious ones that when the venial ones come along, you're like, oh no, that's nothing compared to what I used to do. So I'm, I'm doing great. Um, but there's other cases and times when we're trying to overcome a sin and we just can't get it done. And one of the ones that I run into a lot, there's several, but the first one to talk about is, is kind of an easy one and it's also a very popular one. You hear it from people in middle school when they come into confession. When you, they talk to you, when they're asking, people are always asking for advice. I drop the words, oh my G-O-D, all the time, right? So OMG, people use it all the time, right? And, you know, the, Lord, the commandment says you shall not take the name of your Lord in vain, right? The definition of taking the Lord's name in vain is to use it without meaning, Right? Mm-hmm. That is the definition of vanity, right? So the OMGs are like a direct violation of that. The thing is, though, people come in and confess them, and they want to stop because they recognize it's bad. Oh, yeah, it's number two on the list. It's number two on the list. <laughs> but they don't know how to do it. What do you think about that? Perfect. So far, it's been like a monologue, so we're yeah. trying to engage the <laughs> Part of it's going to be the group of people you hang out with uh, and your normal way of communicating with them. Uh, you just kind of fall back into that. When I, when I go back to Alabama, my southern accent comes out a little bit. Here in Atlanta, which is basically a northern city now, at least in terms of accents. Okay, I'm, I'm pretty offended by that. <laughs> Good. I am from Atlanta. I was born here. Do you sound like a southerner? Atlanta is Georgia. Mm-hmm. 
It is in the south. I we're happy to welcome all the northerners. Welcome, TJ. We're happy to have you here because we're kind and friendly. But no, but you've no, lost you have lost the accent. I never had the accent. I, it, Atlanta I can, in I can gen- have the affected accent if I want to, but Atlanta okay. in general has lost the accent. Hey, but we're getting too far afield. Let's here. have another uh, podcast on that, <laughs> and uh, I'd like to see see that duped out. But uh, <laughs> back to my point is the uh, the habitual ways of relating to a person to another person. You just fall back into those. So if growing up, you always used to take the Lord's name in vain with somebody as a way of expressing yourself when you're in that group of people when you're around them again it's uh you're gonna fall back into your old habits oh environment makes a huge difference right mm-hmm. i mean it, it tends to like it emerges big time in like middle school with middle school girls right something happens in middle school i don't know exactly what it is <laughs> but the girls are really sweet in fifth grade well no you know, maybe fourth grade they're kind of eh, third grade third grade they're really sweet. <laughs> <laughs> they grow up too quickly in third grade they're really sweet in fourth grade it starts going downhill but the good news is, like, by 8th grade, girls have recovered, right? Guys, it, like, it starts going downhill in 8th grade. And, like, by 11th or 12th grade, they've recovered. But uh, by the time they hit middle school, OMGs are flying everywhere, right? So something about culture or music or their friends or whatever it is that you're around makes it so habitual that you're not even thinking about it. And so the point is not to talk about the OMGs. The point is to talk about... What habituates us to sin? And what does that mean with respect to the gravity of sin? Uh, well, I would say just the like regularity of it. Like that it's kind of either it actually is or you've been convinced that it's just normal and that it's okay. Like I think a lot of people just for this example of like uh, using the Lord's name in vain... It's just so commonplace in movies and in conversation and whatever else that people just take it for granted. They've never thought about, like, what... You ascribe a meaning to it, or at least you tell yourself there's a meaning, and you never really stop to think, why am I saying that? Or what do I really mean? Or what would I say in its place, you know? And I think similar with other sins, like, we just take for granted that that's how we're going to spend our time or that's how we're going to react in that sort of a situation, right? So, let me ask you, like, and I'll, I'm going to ask for, you can you can share this personally. I think it's pretty benign, right? And I will say that I remember there being a time in my life when, I don't know that I really ever, I was not an OMG kind of guy, but there was a time in my life when I used a lot of unnecessarily, unnecessary curse words, just in normal conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not, you don't have to say, whether or not that was a problem for you is fine. But the thing is, even though, so when I kind of started having my conversion, even though that was, a, I would say, a habitual thing, even though it was a habitual thing, I don't know that I've felt trapped by it. No, I always felt like I could stop doing that. Now, I might make some mistakes along the way, but I could stop doing that. There's other things that people do that it's not so easy to just stop. And would you would you kind of agree? Like, I, yes. I mean, most people... I would, I would clarify and say, I think having the desire to actually change brings out whether or not you can. So, like, I could... I could think that something's fine and dandy and 
uh, I can stop whenever I want. But until you actually have the desire to stop and try it, you yeah, don't but, really know how difficult I mean, it's going to be for you. Even when the desire is present, right? I've never had anyone tell me that they feel trapped in the sin of foul language, right? Um, I've had people, I mean, I take that back. I've had a couple people that have had like a disorder where they kind of blurt things out. That That's a, that's a different matter, right? But someone who just feels like I can't stop doing this. But there are other things that are like that, mm-hmm. right? Most of them we call addictions, right? Um, mm-hmm. An alcoholic might want to stop drinking, but his freedom is so impaired that it's very difficult if not impossible it's not impossible but it's very very difficult but the one that I want to talk about since we are at a college campus and this is a huge monumental enormous ridiculous problem today is pornography Uh, pornography and masturbation um, pornography is it's unbelievable how many people struggle with this on a day-to-day basis. When I say unbelievable, people who have kind of overcome it or who have learned about it, who are struggling with it, they begin to understand how many other people struggle with it. But people who don't, who are not yet kind of trying to overcome it, it's amazing how many people will come into confession or they'll come into counseling or whatever. They just want to talk to me about something. And this is not just me. I've heard this story many times, right? And they feel as if they are struggling with something that number one, they cannot get out of. They've tried to stop, and they can't. And number two, they feel like no one else is struggling like them. Or if they are, it's there are a few people that struggle like me, but not many. Like, very few people would say, at Georgia Tech, of the guys, uh, 97% probably have a pretty serious pornography problem. 97%. You know, I mean, that's, that is not an exaggeration. That is a college statistic. Um, and people don't tend to think like that, right? But speaking specifically about that, right, people feel trapped by sin a lot of times. And there's a lot of things that happen when we start feeling trapped by a sin. So before we kind of go any further, do you guys have anything to say about the, the trapped feeling um, with sin, both either by knowing someone or just an idea. So I always, uh, I'm going to hearken back to when I took psychology classes a few years ago. There was, uh, we, we looked into uh, learned helplessness and how animals and even people uh, who uh, are in a situation and can't, and can't get out eventually give up trying. Um, I mean, and that's, uh, that's kind of what you see with pornography sometimes, is that they've been trying to get out of it for so long and just can't. Eventually, the will to try to get out of it diminishes. Yeah. I think there is a certain, maybe like a motivating factor for some people, though, um, when you recognize, um, like, it's, it's a crappy feeling. When, that's a crappy feeling when you feel like you're not in control, right? That you can't, you can't get over something. Um, so I think there's like a point where you you make a choice. You either kind of like doom yourself to that, and a lot of people maybe are in that place, or they downplay it. 
Um, but there's also the possibility that in reaction to that, you can say, um, like, I, I want to do something about this. I want to get help. And I think that maybe it's like a first step towards moving out of it. But, uh, you know, that's a big uh, seesaw one way or the other. Even the ones, though, who want to start getting help, right? They want to start getting out of it. It's amazing, especially with especially with pornography. Um, our culture hasn't really adapted yet. I mean, I actually just read a I read an article today um, uh, of a new study that argues that there's no such thing as sex addiction. <laughs> that you can call it. See, I mean, exactly mm-hmm. what you were just talking about. Like learned helplessness is not addiction, right? So. What they're saying is that the methods and the pathways that occur in the brain for addiction is not what's happening in sex addiction, right? Sex, whatever. Um, I don't know if the study was peer-reviewed. I just read an article about it, right? I haven't. <laughs> I ordered the study. It's not available online. They're going to send it to me. I want to read it. But uh, uh, I think I would say there's probably a large majority of the psychological world that would say there is no such thing as pornography addiction or addiction to masturbation, those kind of things. They will say there are such things as a sex addict, but that's someone who is so outlandish in his behavior. Um, And even then, the funny thing is, like, addiction programs like uh, AA have a very low success rate with sexual addicts. They do great with alcohol and drugs. Essay, very, very low success rate uh, in comparison to the others. So it's interesting. It, it is possible that the mechanism is different. I don't really know. I wonder how much is part of culture because nowadays we look at alcoholism, or I mean, we recognize alcoholism and we recognize addictions to other drugs, but to pornography in the larger cultures pretty normalized actually it's presented as something that men do what's being taught is good right yeah i mean in public schools at least um pornography and masturbation is being taught as good and healthy um i'm hoping the catholic schools aren't teaching that but uh i know public schools are um to the point where you you hear stories every year of like the the seminar in which they teach fifth grade kids how to do this right um so, in, uh, so there's that mess. And not just in the schools, but uh, in culture at large. I mean, look at the movies, for instance. I mean, we had the Fifty Shades of Grey, and we had, was it Magic Mike? Um, both those kinds of movies uh, purporting this kind of, uh, this view of sexual deviance as, as a good that should be desired by people, that people should desire uh, in uh, Fifty Shades of Grey this I didn't see it, and I don't know too much about it, but you hear things uh, in the news and stuff. Uh, well, the news reports say that the guy's like a, he's like a masochist, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the Magic Mike one, again, did not see it and not recommending either of these movies, but it's, a, it's about a male stripper, and it's presented as something that women should desire and uh, be attracted to. And, uh, and that's, that's what's being taught by the culture. In, in lo- at Those large. are both mainstream movies, so that's mm-hmm. not even pornography. I mean, it might be might classify. I, I haven't seen any one of them. They, they might classify as pornography. I don't know, but uh, but uh, there's they they both showed in major theaters, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Neither both of those were in major theaters. Um, 
that's definitely a pervasive kind of thing. The the thing we're talking more specifically about, I mean, we could talk about pornography in our culture and all that kind of stuff. That'd be like 12 podcasts. But uh, I want to speak specifically about people who feel trapped and what they can do. Like, first of all, what has happened to them? I'm not talking about psychologically. We can talk about theologically. What has happened to them? And what they can do concretely to, be, to begin rectifying that. And I always tell people who come to me, and I, I see a lot of people for this, um, and I've had a lot of success, you know, it's amazing. Folks who come to me and I tell them what I'm about to say, and they keep coming, they get better. The ones who get discouraged, you know, they don't. But uh, I tell them, I ask somebody, well, so how long has this been going on? And for most guys, this started when they were 7th or 8th grade, and it never stopped. And I tell them, okay, here's the deal. It's now taking you however long, 5, 10 years, to get to where you are. It's not going to take you that long to be done with it, but it's not going to be a short process. you got to be okay with that. So I would say almost any time we have such a great impairment of our freedom, Mm -hmm. like that's not restored overnight. Freedom is one of those things like it's almost like we destroy our structural ability to be free. You know, it's there, and it's a beautiful thing when we're kind of young, we're learning. I mean, we're supposed to be learning how to use our freedom well. And most of the time, mm-hmm. that's not what we're educated to do, right? Um, especially if we're not even educated in what freedom really is. Mm-hmm. You know, we're supposed to be educated to learn how to use our freedom well. The problem is, we start giving it away, and a lot of times, it's gone before we've even realized what we've done. You know, the seventh grader who's looking at pornography and masturbating might be doing that for six months before it ever really crosses his mind that I really, really need to stop doing this. I mean, he knows he shouldn't because that's why you do it. In, you do it in private mm-hmm. and you do it where where people can't see. You don't tell anybody about it. You know it's not good. I'm not saying he doesn't know that. But there comes a point where he's like, I actually can't stop doing this anymore. Right? At first it was just fun. Now it's just what I do. And then kind of begins the separation that occurs. You have the young men who say, it's just what I do, and that's just the way it is. And then you have the ones that it's what I do, and I'm torn up inside because I don't want to do it. Right? And, and then people are trapped. Uh, yeah, and there's the uh, the shame that goes, once you realize that you don't want to do this, but it's difficult to stop, there's the shame that goes along with this because... Uh, I mean, for, for men, for instance, you often see, like, it's uh, it almost comes down as, like, you're not strong enough to beat this. Uh, and then, so that's humiliating yeah. and shameful on top of that. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. I don't know if you've, and it doesn't, my personal opinion on this is a little different, but if you've ever seen these kind of arguments that, and I've gotten into them before, right, about women and modesty like the beach, right? Are, are bikinis sufficiently modest or whatever? And it's amazing, inevitably, so regardless of where you fall on the spectrum of this, inevitably you'll get people that make the argument that say, this is the guy's problem. If he can't control himself, that's his problem. Uh, it's not my problem. It's like this kind of separation in community as if, I'm, no, I'm actually not my brother's keeper. That's, there, was actually, there was somebody who made that answer. right? Am I about my brother's keeper? No, it's the two guys that walked by the guy. You know? And the Good Samaritan is like, no, I am my brother's keeper. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that responsibility that we have for each other. But it's amazing how often we hear that. Like, it's not my responsibility to think about this, right? Somebody else can worry about it. It's your problem. It's not my problem. It's your problem. I mean, uh, you're right. And it speaks to the, one of the part of the nature of sin is that, one, it, uh, it first harms the sinner himself, and then it harms uh, well, his relationship to God and to his fellow man, but it also harms humanity as a whole uh, to, to some degree. Uh, each each sin because there is fundamentally this uh, meant to be this unity among all people and so what harms one person is going to harm another if we're all part of the body of Christ then if for instance if my hand gets cut I say I'm I'm hurt not just oh that part of me is hurt but everything else is fine uh, no it when one part of you is hurt you say you refer it back to the whole self and so when one person sins and harms themselves and harms their relationship to God and uh, to everyone else, it it affects all of us, and we can't just wipe our hands of um, of of our neighbor. Mm-hmm. We can't just you know yeah. say I'm not responsible for this. And the, and the whole idea um, of saying that someone who's fallen into this that they're just weak and they that's their problem, or they need to they just need to tough it out, right? Um, and I've heard I've heard dads say this to their sons, right? Like mm-hmm. people who sons who have come to me to talk about this, and they're doing it outside of confession, right? So we go, and I'm like, because I always tell most most young men, if they've got something like this going on, and they come to me. I say the first thing we need to do is tell your dad, right? Because your dad needs to help you. He needs to hold you accountable. He needs to do all these kind of things. So get get it taken care of when you're you're a kid, you know, and. Uh, Every once in a while, you run into a dad that's like, well, it's just his problem. He needs to he needs to tough it out. He's going to be okay. And I'll tell you, 100% of those cases, 100% of the time, dad's got the same problem. So it that, could be... That's what he, causes that. Yeah. Well, it could be that uh, if the dad has the same problem, that he doesn't even know how to help his son. And he's, that's possible. Or he's trying to justify it himself, or he hasn't thought that whatever he's doing is wrong. And so it, it's very it's complicated. Kind of yeah. yeah. It's all It's all complicated. I've, I've got uh, another interesting point, and I'm tempted to say, especially for men, um, but I, I'm I'm gonna kind of just leave that out there because I think these kind of issues affect men and women, so I think that's important to mention as well, and not just pigeonhole the conversation into men only. Um, but just on a human level, it's very easy to convince yourself that uh, like I don't like I don't need to go get help. Um, I can. I need to figure this out on my own. And then, for example, like with confession, right? Um, I'll take care of this. Then I'll go to confession. Then I'll be. Then I'll be done with this, right? And uh, I know that that can be. It's a. It's a very painful lie, you know, that people can believe that will lead down uh, kind of an even darker road. And so, just the encouragement to. Uh, to, to let that go and to, to step into the grace that the Lord wants to give us, especially in confession, but just in seeking help in general. Like, even if you're listening to this and maybe you're not Catholic, like, don't wait until you think you have it figured out before you go and ask somebody to help you with any sin, you know, really, not just one sin in particular. Um, I will say, you know, there's a lot of different opinions about how to approach uh, pornography addiction or affinity or whatever um 
and and I've heard a lot of different uh, opinions from different people. Um, I just heard one from you, which was uh, uh, to seek help, even and even in confession, out of confession, whatever. I mean, there are other psychologists will tell you that there's no way you're going to do it outside of therapy. That's what psychologists tell. You. I disagree with that. I'm not a psychologist, but I've known plenty of people who have not gone to psychology who have come out of what a psychologist would say was a sex addiction um, and they've been able to overcome it. Some people definitely need it. You can actually tell fairly quickly with someone if that's what they're going to need. Some people actually only need confession. There are some people that that's all they need. Everybody's kind of different in this regard but one of the things that it requires so the thing is, once that freedom is gone it will not be restored except by one path and one path alone. Anybody want to take a guess what that is? Confession? No. Please. Christ? Oh, the path of the cross. There's something specific, a virtue, that is specifically required for any impairment of freedom in order to recover it. It's humility. What caused the loss of freedom in the first place? Pride. Pride, right? So the 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 undercurrent, the the underpinning of every remedy to pride is humility, right? So anytime we find ourselves impaired in freedom, we have to first make ourselves humble before God, and that means a willingness to bring it first to God. It's amazing how many people have problems with habitual sins and they won't even talk to God about it. Yes. You know, like the level of embarrassment and shame or whatever. I don't even like to use the word shame because I like the way John Paul II talks about shame. Yes. Shame's a good thing, yes. right? It's not a bad thing. But um, <laughs> but the level of embarrassment that we feel leads us to not even want to talk to God about it. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's like, that's such a level of pride, right? That is such a level of pride. I There's no way that person's ever going to make it. It's very you know? much like the garden. It's like, I was afraid because I was I'm going to hide. Exactly. And so I hid. Yep. And then when I come out, I'm going to wear my fig leaf. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Just going to cover up the problem. Right? <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing. Humility is absolutely essential. And most people don't think like that. They think, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, it's like kind of what you were saying. I'll go to confession. I'm going to go to this priest that I don't know. I'm going to go behind the screen and I'm going to confess it. I'm going to probably be kind of vague about it. That's the other thing. People come into confession and they're vague. They don't actually say what's happened, right? So they'll be like, I violated the sixth commandment. <laughs> or or even 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 more vague, right? I acted inappropriately. I'm like, friend, that's why you're in confession, right? <laughs> Nobody who walks in here comes in and says, I acted appropriately, <laughs> right? That's the whole reason you're here. you got to be a little more specific. The people mm. who really begin to make progress, and this progress, it can take a long time. It really can. It can take months. It can take years, this progress. The people who approach confession with humility, who follow the advice of the priest, if the priest is not helpful, he's still giving you absolution, but you got to go find help somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to a priest who gives you absolution 
for this sin and does never and never talks to you about it, you need to find another priest. If he's not taking it seriously, you need to find another priest. The person who comes with humility, who seeks the help that's required, even though it takes a long time, and it might, even though it takes a long time, God is very pleased with that action. Mm. That action in humility and intentional growth in grace. Every single person that I talk to needs a different kind of plan. Mm -hmm. Some people need a plan that involves kind of eliminating access to pornography. Some people, they can actually, they can actually fix that pretty easily. That's, they can take away that problem. And then we got to deal with the masturbation part, right? Some people, you get rid of the pornography and it's all gone. Some people, you can get rid of the masturbation and the pornography stays. And it takes all kinds of different ideas and all kinds of trying lots of different things. But if a person is fundamentally humble, fundamentally humble, and is willing to keep trying, they're not going to give up. They're going to stay humble. Because the thing is, discouragement is just another form of pride. Mm -hmm. Because now what's happened is what I thought was going to happen didn't happen. So now I'm going to go pout. Yeah, and in the midst of that, it's very easy to think, you know, I did this, therefore, like, God loves me less. Now I need to do something so that he'll love me more again. Yeah. It happens a lot, I think. That's actually vanity, but same kind of right. in the same direction, right? Um, but the person who's truly humble, and humility is marked by a number of things, but one of them is absolute honesty in the confessional or honesty and or honesty with whoever's helping you. You know, if you go to a therapist and you don't tell them the truth, you're wasting your money. <laughs> like, you have an accountability partner and you never tell them, like, what's going on. Like, I've got several people who I do the Covenant Eyes thing with and I get their Covenant Eyes reports. And the Covenant Eyes reports are perfect, right? And yet, I know they continue to struggle with these other things, right? Because what they've just decided to do is I've eliminated one one option for them, or two or three options, and they go and do something else. It's just dishonesty, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you're not going to be honest about it, if you're not going to be humble, you'll never ever move past any any sort of sin that deals with an impairment of freedom. We've been talking about pornography, but it can involve anything, right? Another, the same thing applies to people who have a serious problem with gossip, right? People who have a problem with gossip, they will argue to your face all day long that what they're doing is not gossip. Right? Oh, no, no, I'm not gossiping. I'm just talking about this because, you know, blah, 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 blah. No, we're, we're trying to help. We're really, we're trying to help. Yeah, you're trying to help. That's right. Any of those kind of sins require humility. Um, so as kind of a final word to anybody out here who's listening to this, who might be struggling with pornography with masturbation, a couple of things. First of all, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Go find somebody. Go find a priest. Go find a deacon. Go find a minister. Go find someone. Or go find a psychologist. If you're going to find a psychologist, make sure you get a good one. Because the predominant view is that this is perfectly fine. Go find somebody who will help you. Have the humility to recognize you're not going to do it yourself. If you failed at fixing this for five years, ten years in your life, you're not going to suddenly find the strength. It doesn't work that way. So number one, 
have hope that it can get better. Number two, have the humility to seek that path. And number three, remember that if you are striving to overcome a sin, even a serious sin, God loves you very much. He walks with you in that sin, and he will give you the grace to overcome it. Make sure you constantly are saying your act of contrition and so that you're always prepared, even, even right after you've done something you ought not to. So you're always prepared to meet God and trust that he's going to recognize that effort and however imperfect, that he's going to recognize that effort you've put in and that he's going to understand he's going to reward it. Okay, I think that's it for this one. And uh, uh, thanks for listening to Hell of a Catholic Podcast. Um, If you have any questions, concerns, or want us to talk about anything, any particular topics... Uh, send us an email at podcast at gtcatholic.org. Thanks. God bless.